Well, hello, everyone. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I actually did have a great Thanksgiving. This part was the only bummer, okay? I know. Some of you are like, oh, it's not. I'm just getting old. That's what's happening. Um, but I'll, say, I'll stop right here and just say I want to welcome East. I want to welcome all online and everybody. I want to tell you a little bit of what happened because you may be wondering. I was playing flag football, took a step, heard a crack in my foot. That's the story. It's not great. It's not awesome. I'm just getting old. That's what's happening. And all probably the men in the audience who are getting old go, amen. It happens, man. Get used to it. You join the club. Um, and so that was the only bummer. But man, our family had a great time. We even had a great Thanksgiving. Got to even see some lights yesterday. It was great. And so we're going to continue being able to just our series on James and wrapping it up today. And you will see kind of... <laughs> I think that's funny, uh, just the irony of this sermon and what I'm dealing with, um, but I'll explain that a little bit later. But we're getting to the end. This is the last chapter of James, and if you've been part of this series, you know James is a very practical book. It's known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you've read Proverbs, it's just practical wisdom. And so James, just the way he wrote, he's like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And we get to the end, and you're thinking, Man, this is, this is the time. This is where he gives us the greatest wisdom. This is where he just finishes it. Because if you want to know something, the way this would have worked, when he wrote it, he, it would be said out loud to all the churches. And so it would have just been read. We, we've got it like where we read it, it's chapters, and we go by verse. They wouldn't have understood that. It just would have been read to the church. And so you think about it, the last words, man, they've got to be really important. They got to be really good because that's like the last, like, here's the last thing I want you to know. And so for me, being able to preach on this, I was like, great, here we go. Let's see what this is. This will be awesome. So here you go. You'll find this a little funny. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient, take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. I read this, and I went, I think they may have picked the wrong guy to do this sermon. <laughs> because uh, I'm always kind of nervous about this and embarrassed, but like, if you knew the car that I drove or knew my license plate, you'd be like, yeah, he's not the guy to be giving this sermon. Because I'm the guy sometimes that's like, hey, this line's long, I'm going to get over to the other one. I'm always kind of rushing, it feels like, to the next thing. Uh, my wife will tell you, I'll go, okay, it takes 10 minutes to get there. I'll leave myself 11 minutes. Just enough time. Uh, and so when I saw this, I was like, oh, okay, God, I know we've been working on this, but I still don't think I'm great at this. And I think when you talk about patience, it feels, especially right now, I mean, if I ask any of you, hey, how's life going? Oh, it's busy, busy, busy. Like, we're all busy, okay? Like, that's the new word we put to that question, uh, and it almost feels like a, it feels weird. It feels like a status. Like if you're busy, that means you must be doing something important. Like I, it's just an answer we give now. And so this idea of patience, it almost seems like this ideal virtue that we try to go after. We all know it's important, but if we're honest, it seems very unattainable to actually slow down and be patient. So I think it's important for us to go, okay, so what is James talking about? When he uses the word patience, what is he saying? So if you were to study it, here's kind of the definition um, that you would find. To be of a long spirit, not to lose heart, 
to persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. It's kind of this idea of slow to anger, slow to punish, slow and just this idea of even suffering to the point of like, you will be this patient to allow God to kind of lead your life. Because if you're like me, you want to control it a little bit. You want to determine things, especially I've got four kids. I'd love to control some things for them. (laughs) And it'll go a lot easier sometimes. But if we take it into the spiritual world and really define it in in a way that I would kind of describe it this way, it's the courageous act of waiting for God. And I want you to catch that there is courage attached to this. It takes courage to say, God, you have my kids. You get to lead them. You get to show them where they should go. God, you have my marriage. Help me to patiently wait on you and showing me how to love my spouse. God, you have my life. You give me the purpose. And courageously wait for God to show you the path to take. All of those things are like, yes, that's right. But all of us struggle with it. It takes a lot of courage to be willing to go, I'm not going to act now. I'm not going to push this because, man, do I want to. Because you also know with patience, if you're willing to have that courage, you may catch moments that you wouldn't catch if you were in a hurry. So then James moves to the practical side of things. And he goes, okay, so most of us will go, okay, patience, that's great. So then he goes, well, here's a way to know maybe if you're being impatient. So it says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So sit on that, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, um, or complain. If you ever stood in a long line this past week trying to get groceries at Walmart, and you were like, what is taking forever? I remember I went to Walmart the other day, and five, I think almost half of the self-checkout lines were not working, or the, the, the little areas. And I was like, what are we doing? This is like prime time. You need those working right now. Like, why do we not have them working? This is not efficient. This does not make sense in my brain. Um, and so you think about it, when we start to grumble, I mean, you go out to eat now, and it's a long line. What do we do? We typically start to, what's taking forever? The food is slow, and then it's cold. We start to do what? We grumble and complain. And sometimes, can we be honest, uh, in the church world, sometimes we can be the worst at it. I'll, I'll admit to it. Oh, the sermon was too long. The sermon was too short. The music was too loud. The music was not loud enough. It was boring. Like, we could just, I don't like the carpet. You know, like, we could just get into all these things. But can we recognize one thing? When we're grumbling and complaining, it is a sign of impatience. That's what it represents. Because we're going, let's go, we can do this faster. We could go, like, why do we not make this better? Now, hear me, that's some good things. But when it starts turning into grumbling and complaining, you may have to take a step back and go, oh, maybe I'm being impatient about this. I know I have to do this with my kids when they are taking forever to get ready. Oh. When they are, I mean, even just making messes and then just leaving them there. You're like, <laughs> come on! But it's an act of impatience. 
So James says that, and then he goes on in verse 12. This is another area. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. So this starts to get into, hey, yes, the grumbling, complaining, but also watch your words when it comes to what you're promising. Because I think a lot of us, when we're promising things, because James is getting at, just let it be a yes or no. Because many of us get into, like, we almost want to guarantee the future a little bit. We want to control it. And so we're like, okay, no, no, no. I promise you that this will happen. Or we make deals so that we can experience certain things. Uh, this playing out a little bit, just an example, is like I've seen in, I mean, over the last few years, parents getting in trouble, celebrity parents getting in trouble because they're trying to make deals so that their kids could get into certain colleges. See, this is what James is talking about. Some of us have made deals so we can get the promotion. Some of us have made promises and oaths so that we can get what we want and guarantee the future. I mean, even in my world as pastor, there have been pastors who tried to guarantee or promise when the Lord will be coming back. None of them get it right. It's a mistake to do that. But what I think we're all guilty of it in different ways. Trying to guarantee the future. Trying to control it. Because, man, if we could, that would be awesome. But we don't have the ability to do that. So maybe it's just as simple as letting your yes be yes and your no be no and be careful about the promises and oaths that you make because guaranteeing the future is a sign of impatience. So one of those moments where we realize we're trying to control it. We're trying to uh, make sure that it happens the way we want it to happen. And I want to pause here because recognize this. In time that James was writing this, uh, patience was a struggle. But realize humanity's relationship with patience and maybe even specifically time, I feel like it's only gotten worse. If you look at it throughout it, it's only gotten worse. I think there's something a little bit in us that just goes, no, 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 do it faster, do it this, this. And we want it to be more efficient. We want it to be more convenient. I, that's why I say there's a line to walk in this. Because if you were to study history a little bit, uh, you'll notice how we've made it worse. So here's what's happened. Uh, the first thing that really started to create a different trend was the sundial. It's created in 1500 BC to where you can start to determine a little bit of the time. And when it was invented, there was this mixed review. Some philosophers, there we go, were trying to uh, point out, it's like, how dare we try to determine time. The gods are the one that determine it. We should not be playing in that realm. There's other people who go, hey, this actually makes life pretty efficient. It's good to know the time. It's great. And so at that point, things were kind of mixed. But then as you see it, the relationship, I feel like, started to change with time. Because then the light bulb was invented. Did you know before the light bulb, an average adult got 11 hours of sleep? I know, that's what I was expecting, kind of the, <gasps> what? <laughs> 11 hours? They must be lazy. No, they weren't. Like, just think about this. Jesus is time. When Jesus was around, he's probably sleeping on average 11 hours a night. We're all going, man, I'm trying to just shoot for six. Like, that would be, 
But here's the crazy part. Light bulb gets invented. That 11 hours shifts down to eight. Like that. That's what you'll notice. As inventions happened, what we thought was maybe helping us actually may be doing the opposite. 2007, another big year that started to create some different dynamics. That year was when the iPhone was first invented and shown to us. Also the year Facebook started taking off. So now we have the ability to have these phones that have all these apps and make our lives so convenient, make our lives so much faster and smarter, and now we're able to connect in so many different ways. You would think, as time has gone by, as we have made these incredible inventions, yes, things have gotten better on some levels, but on the other side of this, that's why I say when James wrote it, they were dealing with a struggle with patience, but I would say now, we might be at a whole nother level of struggle with this. Because listen to these stats. 75% of parents are too busy to read through their children at night. 75%. I mean, I'm a dad of four kids. I'm looking at going, that's not okay. That shouldn't be how it goes. 33% of Americans are living with extreme stress daily. 50% of Americans say they regularly lie awake at night because of stress. And that's just talking about busyness. And I think we know what busyness starts to create, anxiety. And so if you look at anxiety stats, they've been growing like crazy. I mean, exponentially, just shooting up. So if you were to look at this, according to uh, some stats, back they were uh, just testing some college freshmen. And that, back in 1985, the percent who were feeling anxious was 18%. Uh, 2010, 29%, okay? 2016, 41%. And you can only imagine what it hit now with what we've walked through in the last few years. <laughs> On top of that, before the pandemic, the percent of Americans feeling anxious was 32 to 39%. As of 2020, the percentage of Americans feeling anxious is 20 or 62%. What it reveals is maybe we have a problem with patience more than we would like to admit. We're all too busy. We're all running at a pace that isn't sustainable. And maybe we're missing out on things that could be the most important. There's actually a sickness that's starting to be described as the hurry sickness. It's crazy. It's a mixture of anxiety and continual feelings of urgency. Some of you are like, that's a sickness, like that's me every day, you know, like, it's, but this is true. Uh, if you want to know, like, where did it come from, it actually was started in 1974. Two cardiologists, um, they noticed that a lot of their patients with type A behavior had more risk of heart attack and death. So this is where this started to pick up. So then here's the signs uh, of hurry sickness. If you're easily irritable, as I go through these, just know there's like a little check mark by a lot of these for me, okay? Uh, hypersensitivity, restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness, and then on the other side of this, out of order priorities, lack of care for your body, 
escape to this behavior. And if you want to sit here just a little bit, if you're like, what's that mean? That means when you don't want to deal with things, you go, let me go eat, let me go drink, let me go play video games, let me go do whatever else so I don't have to deal with this. Some of it caused number five here, the emotional numbness. Let's just avoid it. So see, sometimes we do this busyness to actually avoid the issues maybe that we need to talk about. Uh, but that's a whole nother sermon. Um, but a slippage of spiritual disciplines. Some of us start to wrestle, hey, when's the last time that you actually read your Bible? When's the last time you prayed? Even now, when's the last time you've gone to church? On average, most people are going to church one out of every six weeks. That's changing. It's getting farther and farther away. And then the last one, isolation. So you look at this, it's hurry sickness. I think all of us can admit, it's like, yeah, I think I may have that. I may struggle with that. So there's a quote that I got from one of the pastors that I just really respect and look up to, and he said this, the greatest enemy to the life we want is the life we are currently living. Maybe this busy life that the culture is pushing on us, run fast, do it quickly, do it at this pace, might actually be our problem. And maybe James is spot on when he's been so far doing, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then he gets to the end and goes, but let's wait. And we're like, wait, what? Because there's a lot to understand about patience and maybe slowing down. And no, Jesus had a lot of wisdom on this. I want to show it to you because, uh, and I would encourage you as I show you this, um, go read maybe some of the chapters before. Because leading up to this scripture, you have people who are very anxious. Some of his disciples are anxious. Some of the people who were just even great leaders at his time were anxious and asking the questions like, okay, God, like, is this how it's supposed to go? Is this how it's supposed to work? And then this is his advice. And I think for us, we need to underline this verse. We need to understand it. Because I think we're dealing with more of a patience problem than ever before. So then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We love that part. We're like, yes, sign me up. Let's do that. Rest sounds nice. Right now, I'd love to sleep. You know, like we get that part. But this next part, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. Now, in the counselor world, I do some counseling just being a pastor. Typically, when you're talking to somebody who is very weary, like the first part of it sounds good, but typically you don't go, hey, come to me. I'll give you some rest. But also, hey, here's some extra weight I want you to carry. (laughs) That's usually not the advice people are looking for. They're like, wait, no, no, no. I don't want more. I want less. And so you've got to look at that and go, Jesus, why are you asking me to carry your burden? No, I was asking you to carry mine. Mine was so heavy, I, I was barely able to make it. And he goes, yeah, I understand, but I need you to carry my burden. Talking about this yoke. And if you want to understand what a yoke looks like, some of you may already know, but just so that we're all on the same page, here you go. This is what it looks like. Everybody, when James or Jesus was saying this, everybody would have understood this kind of concept because they were using it at this time. And so here you go, yoke to where you'd put two oxen in between there, they would plow the fields, sometimes they would be even used to carry water, all those kind of things. 
There's a yoke to where you would put one oxen in one side, one oxen in the other, and they would pull together, working together as a team, carrying this weight together. It's kind of this beautiful picture. And, and Jesus says, hey, if you are weary, if you are too busy, if you are just running at a pace you can't handle, put on my yoke. Now, some of you should be asking, okay, so what is this weight that he's asking us to carry? And, and that's a good question. You should be asking that. So here's what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about the weight he's wanting you to carry. He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I want you to help me bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. I want you to carry that weight with me. Now, some of you may be going, but Jesus, how can I do that? I've got all these other things I've got to get done too. I don't know how to do it. And this is where the conversation changes, and Jesus goes, you need to put that weight down because I want you to carry this weight. That's where this conversation begins to change. When we put on the yoke, he's not saying, hey, carry all the heavy burdens you already have. He's saying, you need to let me deal with those, but the burden I'm asking you to carry, the one burden I'm asking you to carry is to bring the kingdom of heaven here to this earth. That's weight you're designed to carry with me, not alone, with me. All the other stuff, you're not designed to carry by yourself. You can't handle it. And I think we hate even hearing that. The truth is, Jesus knew this about us. I mean, God designed us. He knows. So if you want to look at a uh, kind of just diving deep into putting on this yoke, here's the first part of it. Putting on the yoke will change our pace. We will probably begin to walk slower. This is where, like, what happened to me on Thursday just becomes so funny to me. Where Jesus is going, yep, yeah, so you're going to preach on this, and you're going to live out this sermon very much right now. Because I'd love to show you, like, if you want to see a picture of what I think this kind of looks like, it's this. <laughs> and you may be thinking, okay, uh, here's Jesus. You say, hey, we're going to lay down right now. Here's us. Why do we need to lay down? Let's go. We got things to accomplish. Let's get going. He's going, you need to. You don't know what the journey is ahead. But we're going to rest here because we need all the strength we need to go through these next few years. See, that's what Jesus is doing. When he teaches us to put on this yoke, he's going, you need to learn to walk at my pace. And there will be times, yes, we'll walk a little bit faster. But there will be other times and a lot more times where I'm going to say, slow down. Slow down. Because all of us, we're in a hurry. We want to see it. We want to see it happen now. Culture pushes that on us. Make it happen now. What have you done for me lately? Like those kind of things. And we're rushing everywhere. If you want a good book to read, I'm reading through this. This is why it's funny that I, like God had me preach this sermon. The book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's by John Mark Comer. And so here's his quote. Love is incompatible with hurry. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that love takes time. But man, do we love to try to make it happen quickly. 
I mean, even thinking about Facebook now and trying to be like, oh, if we could just make relationships happen quickly, if we could just create the right moments, then we will fall in love and be in love and it will be great. We do this with marriage, we do this in dating, we do this with our family, we do all those kind of things. But you can't rush love. But man, we try. And Jesus over there, it doesn't work. It cannot happen. I mean, think about it. We, we know this to be true, but we don't like to admit it. The moments where you start to realize it is when your kids tell you, hey, you always say no, or you're always too busy, mom or dad. I've had those moments. Oh, you got to go work again, dad? Yeah. Or spouse is like, hey, let's go on a date. Ah, we can't do it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm really busy, but, but we'll do it soon. Then months go by. Or maybe even God speaking to you, hey, I'd love to have some time with you. Love to connect with you. Oh, God, I, I hear that, but um, man, not, this time's not really great right now. Can we do it later? See, love does not happen at a rushed pace. If we put on the yoke, it's going to change our pace because Jesus is going to go, whoa, slow down. Take in this moment. Look at what this relationship needs. I would encourage you to go study this. Go read the Gospels. There's not one scripture in the Gospels that said Jesus rushed, Jesus hurried, Jesus ran. And if there was ever a guy who probably was in a rush because he only had so many years, knew he was going to die, be him. I mean, he had such a big weight on his shoulders, but he still walked everywhere. He still made time for people, stopped and listened to people. There's a portion in the Bible that is typically read a lot at weddings. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. It's known as kind of the love chapter where it describes love. Look at how it describes it first. Love is patient. For me, this is where I started to get convicted to where I go, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I think my pace is off. I run too fast. And know this, part of the reason maybe you're running is because you're running from something or running to something. We're running from our past, running towards what we think will make our life better. And so we go, we have to get there. I have to run. I have to do this. And Jesus is going, no, you don't. Because when you're saying that, your values are all jacked up. Our busyness, our hurry, I think represents maybe a bigger issue in us. It represents that we're trying to take control. We're trying to push this yoke forward. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's not like you can drag Jesus where you want to go. It doesn't happen. Now, that first part, putting on the yoke, is going to change our pace. Here's the second part of this. Putting on the yoke accepts our human limits. 
I probably should have learned this. I'm getting old. I probably shouldn't be playing flag football anymore. I get it. Accepting your limits is a hard thing to do. Uh, I think if I was going to show you another picture, I feel like this is what this one looks like. This is us fighting like Jesus and going, hey, you have limits. And we're like, no, no, I don't. I can do this. Trust me. My brain's smart enough. My heart can handle this. My body's got this. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll wait here. And we're over here just trying to push the yoke or trying to do things out of order and just rushing things. And then we see it. We hurt ourselves. Or we can't accomplish what we want. And we have to sit in that like, wait, do I, do I have limits? Because I think the world's like, go do what you can do, everything. The truth is, we all have limits. And one of the limits is, sadly, we don't get to choose how long we live. That's one of our limits. We have no control over that. We don't get to choose when our body starts to break down. We don't get to choose these things. Because they happen when, whenever. And accepting the limits, I feel like it's just this constant fight sometimes. But that's why, as this has happened and everything, there's a smile that comes to my face because I'm like, God, thank you for helping me watch this, walk this sermon out in like the most real way possible. To where I need to learn. I, maybe I need to slow down. Maybe I need to take time and go, am I accepting the limits that I have? That I'm not smart enough to fix everything. I'm not perfect at loving everybody. I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not, and you can fill in the gap for you. And God's going, good. Let go of your prideful, selfish desire to prove something to me or prove it to yourself. And hear me, God's not telling you, hey, be lazy. No, this is not a lazy conversation. He's telling you to put in the work, but he's going, but trust me with the work you need to do. Put on the yoke and let's go. Because I think if we do that, it starts to eliminate all these other factors that we start to play into. We start putting our values in the right spot. We don't have as much anxiety. We don't have all the, because we're not worried about all those things. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but it's healthy. Going back to that book I referenced, there's a quote that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Remember, he slowly walked, but I want you to picture this. He slowly walked to the cross. He even had his own limits. He knew it. We're like, Jesus, Jesus had limits? Yeah, think about it. Garden of Gethsemane. He's sitting there going, God, if you can take this cup from me, please do. Because he knew, man, my body is hurting. My heart is hurting. My brain is hurting. I don't know if I can do this. But then the next line, but if it's your will, may your will be done. If you want to see this, even he was taking on the yoke that his father had given him. And if you were to study just how this whole oxen pair works, what's crazy is there's a trainer or what they call a teamster. Teamster then trains one ox that would be the lead, and then the next ox comes. And you can't have, like, different animals. You can't have, like, a donkey and an ox. It doesn't work. They're going to pull separately. It's just going to be a disaster. 
So the beautiful part is, even in our own realm of humanity, you have the Father who's training us. Then he sends his son, Jesus, to take on human flesh and feel everything that we feel, feel our limits, accepting our limits, learning to slow down. And so Jesus takes on all of that. And not only that, the weight of saving all of us. He puts on that yoke. And then he asked us, he goes, now I want to teach you to do the same. To where we come over here, and it's beautiful because we have a human being showing another human being how to live this out. That's the beauty of what Jesus did. To where he came down to earth, took on the human flesh. Yes, he's God, but he also put on some of these limits. He's 100% God and 100% human being. He felt all that, knew all that, and he's going, I want to show you how to live and recognize your pace and your limits play in to your walk with Jesus. Let's go back to that passage in James. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. Can we just stop here and go, I mean, we live in South Dakota, Montana's around, Wyoming. We may be having people watch from all there. We may have farmers right now. We get this. As farmers waiting for the rain, we can't control the rain. We can't control when the water comes, but we need it. And so learning to eagerly wait for God to do his work in us May we learn to be like farmers in this realm and just be patient and say, God, may your will be done in my life. Teach me to put my yoke on. Help me, Lord. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Jesus wants to guide us. He's giving us this yoke so that we can learn to live life, not in a rushed, busy state, Learn to know our limits so that we can experience a deep relationship with God and love people in such a generous way. Love people, everything we have. Down deep, that's what we want. We would love to experience a real relationship with God. Many of us would love to have awesome relationships. And God's going, it's not going to be easy, but walk with me. So here's a challenge I want to throw out to you. This is a prayer that I've been trying to work on, and maybe you'll join with me. Let's pray for just seven days in a row and teach us patience. Maybe you go for a month, whatever you choose to do. But here's the prayer. God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. Take a picture of it, whatever you want to do. But take that prayer. Pray it on a daily basis so that your heart is open, your mind is ready to go, God, as I'm learning now, walk slowly. Let's go at your pace. May I not rush so I can experience the full life that you have for me. Let's pray.